From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Frank Ling, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Dr. Daniel Hurwatz joins us to talk about the snowball earth. So stay tuned for all this here on the Grok Science Show. Welcome back to the program. Well, joining us today is our very special guest, Dr. Daniel Herwatz from the University of Göttingen in Germany. Today he's going to talk about one of the mysteries of our Earth's history, the climate of the past. Recently, his work with identifying the isotopes in these rocks has allowed us to reconstruct the climate. Professor Herwatz, thank you so much for joining us here today. Hello, good to be here. I just want to congratulate you on your paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, this work and how you got involved in it? Yeah, sure. Well, actually, um, we were measuring or aiming to measure oxygen isotopes at at very, very high precision at uh, University of Göttingen. And I uh, came across these samples which had very peculiar, very low... Uh, strange uh, delta or 18O isotopic composition. So the the isotopes of these rocks um, implied that these rocks had interacted with uh, waters like we find in in Antarctica today or Greenland today. And and with these new uh, techniques we developed in Göttingen, we were able to to reconstruct the composition of these uh, ancient glaciers. And by reconstructing such a composition, we could actually get a climate information about periods in our Earth's history where the uh, Earth had been completely frozen, completely uh, covered by ice, with uh, also the uh, oceans probably uh, completely frozen in and, and under hundreds of meters thick ice. Interesting. Uh, so you've used a new technique um, based on triple oxygen isotope. Uh, what exactly is that, and how do you measure it? We measure it um, just by standard techniques with a, a gas mass spectrometer. The the trick is a little bit to to clean the sample very thoroughly when you. We're measuring oxygen from rocks, so we have to extract the oxygen uh, from a solid sample. We do that by heating up these samples in a flow atmosphere with a laser to uh, above 1,000 degrees, and then the the rocks react with the fluor, and they set uh, free oxygen uh, free, and we have to clean this gas uh, from all the other trace gases it also evolves in this process, and then we can we can do these very precise measurements just by standard um, uh, gas mass spectrometry. Uh, what exactly is triple oxygen? Uh, is it oxygen 16, oxygen 17, or 18? 
Exactly. Normally, uh, people use um, the, or traditionally, uh, people look at the ratio of 18O to 16O mm-hmm. uh, because there's the largest mass difference between these isotopes. And uh, the, the 17O is a very, very rare isotope, so it's very difficult to measure. And it's, um, usually people thought that it would not give any additional information to the to the 18 or 16 year because it was just about half the fractionation that you see in the other isotopes so uh, this has been neglected for quite a long time but when you measure this at very very high precision uh, it actually gives you some additional information that we used in this study to reconstruct the composition of these uh, glaciers uh, so in your paper you described how you look at the oxygen isotope ratios in in these samples, uh, these rocks presumably uh, from the snowball uh, Earth period, and then you compare it to the composition of uh, ice or rocks in Antarctica today. And so this gives you an indication of the temperature as well as the elevation? Uh, no, it's not actually about uh, elevation. We don't really know uh, the elevation that these uh, waters had precipitated. Um, what we find is that these glaciers have a similar oxygen isotopic composition to to waters that we today find in Antarctica. And what you have to know is that the oxygen isotopic composition of waters on our planet today very well correlates with uh, mean annual temperature. So you need very, very low temperatures to reach such very, very low delta 18O compositions that we have uh, found in these uh, in these ancient glaciers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the rocks uh, that we studied uh, at the time they've interacted with these uh, waters were at low latitudes. So they had been at, at tropical or subtropical regions of our Earth. So this implies that uh, back then uh, the the climate uh, in, in tropical or subtropical regions of our Earth had been similar to uh, climates in Antarctica today. So you can imagine that uh, this is, um, yeah, it's it's quite exciting to find such low temperatures uh, at such tropical regions, which really shows that our Earth is really completely uh, frozen over. So we've been talking about the snowball Earth, uh, but perhaps in a little bit of an abstract sense. Uh, Could you tell us or describe what exactly the snowball Earth looked like back then? Yes. So, I mean, the theory um, has been around for quite a while. Basically, even started with some theoretical considerations before even the first uh, geologists had, had uh, noticed had been noticing this. So, what happens when, for for any reason, uh, the climate of our planet becomes very cold? This could be, for instance, due to very low concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere, less climate gas, colder climate. Uh, then you have uh, ice sheets on the poles that are extending. And if you have extending ice sheets, you have more and more of the Earth covered in snow and ice, uh, which has a bright color, and so it reflects sunlight coming from the uh, from the outside back into the uh, back into space. That means if you have uh, larger and larger ice caps, you actually cool the planet. And so, uh, if the ice caps reach a certain critical point, 
you will have so much reflection of sunlight and so much of this uh, cooling going on that uh, suddenly the the complete earth becomes frozen in. So the glaciers will, will propagate into tropical and subtropical regions and, and also the oceans will uh, freeze over. So I presume this is the strongest evidence we have so far of the snowball earth as you just described. Uh, well, I would not say that. I think uh, the theory is actually um, uh, quite well established with quite a few um, studies that, that show that the, there had been glaciers in the subtropical regions. So I think the first evidence uh, came from drop stones that we find at uh, low Pali latitudes. So rocks that you would really only expect if you had uh, glaciers. The question today is a little bit um, like what were the conditions really like? Did, mm-hmm. Was it really completely frozen over or did we have some parts of the oceans that uh, still had liquid water? Um, so there are some scientists arguing that well, you, you need liquid water because you have photosynthetic uh, organisms that survive these events. So if you freeze in all the, all the oceans, how would you have these organisms survive these events or others are arguing that um, you know if you have the completely uh, complete earth frozen in then you have so much uh, sunlight reflection back into space that you would never get out of the state it, it's then it would be impossible to to raise the co2 level in the atmosphere to levels where you can get a greenhouse effect to to melt the earth again so the problem that I see with the, um, or the challenge I see is uh, at the moment that we have very, very little uh, data about these noble Earth events. And this is uh, where my study comes in, where we have at least one or two hard data points uh, that give us some climate information apart from uh, what is usually done is just uh, climate modeling. And Climate modeling, when you don't have a good databases, is always uh, problematic. So this technique has revealed some insights into the Earth's past. Uh, can it be used also to look into the future to give us some knowledge of, of what could happen, for example, through climate change? Well, of course. I mean, climate research is always about looking at the climate of the past to kind of see where we're going in the future. And I think uh, when you study Snowball Earth uh, episodes, you see how important climate gases are and that they can really make the difference between an Earth that is completely frozen in and an Earth that is, uh, is, a, is a greenhouse. Like when, these, um, when the Earth was completely frozen in, we actually had continuous volcanism uh, on Earth, so rising and rising CO2 levels in the atmosphere. And then at some point, when the, when the ice retreated again, this, this reflection of sunlight effect was getting weaker, but we had very high concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere. So actually when the planet melted again, we turned the Earth into a super greenhouse. And there you see how fragile climate is and, and how fast climate on Earth can change. And we should, I think we should be really uh, careful of what we're doing and, and really try to understand climate as much as we can to, um, to see where we are going today. From what I understand, it seems your technique can be used universally. Uh, what other stories can you tell about the Earth's past uh, using this? 
it would become very technical um, if I went into this. Just as an example, I'm now uh, using a very similar technique, also using this uh, 017 proxy to have a look at the um, um, at the Messinian crisis in the Mediterranean. So times when the Mediterranean completely dried out, it was uh, blocked from the Atlantic inflow and. Uh, you can also study these periods, which is a completely different thing, but we're using the same methods to study them. It's a pretty novel technique that you've described here today. Um, I guess we're running a little bit out of time here. Um, are there any last words you'd like to add about yourself or your research interests? What's maybe uh, another interesting point uh, would be uh, to think about life on Earth during these periods, where, of course, when you have a frozen earth and then life will have a hard time and a lot of species will die out, you actually get um, an acceleration of life after these global earth events when the, when the earth defrosts again. And it, it actually, after the last large global earth event, we get the Cambrian explosion with all, with all life developing into, into many different directions. And it's also interesting to think about life on on other places in the in the in our solar system, like uh, moons of Jupiter and Saturn, probably look now look similar to uh, our Earth back then when it was covered in ice. We have the icy moons where we expect to find uh, life, and the oceans that are covered under under this ice. And the fact that life on Earth survived uh, survived these times in our in our Earth history shows that it is uh, likely that we might find life on these moons. Uh, just one follow-up question. Uh, what was the most surprising uh, result of your research? Was there anything unexpected that uh, you observed? Well, actually, the, this very, very low uh, delta-18 isotopic ratio was the biggest surprise. It's, um, I expected these rocks to because they have a delta 18O ratio of minus 27, so, and I expect not to find something much lower than this, found a, a value that was far lower, and so it implied much lower temperatures initially. Oh, great. So I just want to thank you again for taking your time to talk with us today. No problem. Yeah, I wish you a good day. Yeah, and we were just talking to Dr. Daniel Herwatt from Göttingen University in Germany. His paper on reconstructing the snowball earth climate was published in the recent edition of the Proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us on the web at www.grok.net, on Facebook and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Frank Ling. Stay tuned here for more music. <laughs>